The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. The Fold is brought to you by O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. No mai hoki mai ki a The Fold e mihi nei, ko Duncan Gree tōkung wā. My guest this week is Irene Gardner, who is the president of Sparta, which is the Screen Producers Guild for New Zealand. Um, screen producers basically are the production companies that make all kinds of things, but particularly uh, film and, and television productions here. So like a lot of this stuff gets a bit arcane and you end up having to explain all these different pieces. But the the best way to think of them is... is Producers make the thing happen from from money to personnel to working with writers and directors and cinematographers and and networks or distributors. Producers are, you know, to my understanding of the glue that sits in the middle. And you know, the more I'm around this industry, sort of both observing it and and as a participant through our Hexwork Productions, which is our our screen production, um, the more the creativity and the drive and the just the complete importance of production companies and producers sort of becomes clearer and clearer in my mind. Uh, so Irene uh, has has got an amazing has CV. You know, she, she's worked in production on dozens of shows, so stretching back into the 80s. Uh, she basically sort of single-handedly revived TVNZ's internal production um, from, from the, a fairly moribund state in the mid-90s and in so doing worked on uh, shows like you know Havoc and Newsboy and Pioneer House and and a whole bunch of things which I think were really kind of uh, forward looking and interesting in that era. She then went on to work at NZ on Screen through its kind of growth, which I think has been that, that's a fantastic resource for those who aren't necessarily familiar with it. It, it helps uh, provide a map into our sort of our sort of screen industry, but also really. The, the sort of the taonga of our industry, that a lot of the, the creations, whether it's um, episodes or, or films that exist there and, and the, like short biographies of you know, probably thousands of people. So it's a really good way to kind of dive into what we have made as a nation. Uh, and she has recently taken on the, the role of president of, of Sparta and this interview was actually recorded about 10 days ago and uh, just yesterday as I speak and, and last week as you listen to this, uh, I wrote a story about um, The Pilgrim, which is a, a script that had been in production and that Sparta uh, and the Film Commission uh, sort of went went to war over a little bit. Uh, it was it was a really fun story to write. And unfortunately, because of the timing of this interview, it would have been a great thing to discuss with Irene, but uh, there's none of that in there. But I, I sort of encourage you to to go out and search that out. If you search my name uh, and, and The Pilgrim, 
you should be able to, or just just look for my byline on the spinoff. You should be able to dig it up. But what what that story does is really sort of illustrate the complexities of the relationships between producers, uh, between and Sparta and um, the various branches and agencies of of film and television in New Zealand. Uh, I've, I've really tried to kind of explain it as I go along in that piece, and you know, because this is a an industry that. I think is a, is a fascinating one. It's, it, it informs and reflects who we are in, in really crucial ways. There's a huge amount of government participation in it uh, from a funding perspective, um, but it also, its brightest stars help explain who we are to the whole world. So it's it's a really, really important thing to get right. Uh, so we try and dig into to a bunch of that uh, in this in this conversation, in this quarter, and I think it's, it's uh, you know the, the, there is so much complexity there, but it but it is so so important. So hopefully you'll enjoy enjoy it too. This is Irene Gardner on the fold. Tinakwe, uh, Irene, and welcome to the fold. Kia um, I wondered if you could start by explaining uh, to to me uh, and and our listeners what what Sparta is and does. Sparta is the producers' guild. We have a slightly confusing name because we're the directors used to be with us, so it was the Screen Production and Screen Producers and Directors Association. Then they went and formed their own group, so we need to try and keep Sparta. So we've got a weird name, which is the Screen Production and Development Association, because <laughs> you know producers do development and production. That's but true. it's horrendously confusing, and yeah, we are just basically the main Screen Producers Guild in New Zealand, and our role is to advocate for our producers and make sure that the screen industry functions as best it can for us. Which is interesting, the, the, that word functions, because it, it does have a reputation for being somewhat dysfunctional at times, and just in the sense that, that pr- production is actually an enormous and very broad industry that, that uh, encompasses almost too many things to be in one, which is probably why the directors went off and did their own thing. Uh, what 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 made you uh, come and do, do, want to go into this famously kind of dyspeptic and and uh, uh, you know hazardous sector and 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 take on this this very important but unpaid job? Well, I've been a producer for years in television, not film, uh, and I've been on the Spider board for about four years. And I've learned quite a bit about uh, some of the film stuff I didn't know, some of the policy stuff, you know, kind of overview industry kind of things. And I've found it interesting. And I'm at a point in my life where I actually can, I have got the time, I can give back to an industry that I really genuinely love and that has been really good to me. Um, You know, I, I love the screen industry. I love the fact that we make great content here in New Zealand. Yes, it can be tricky because even amongst our own members, you know, we have people wanting different things. You know, television people want, producers want different things than film producers. And, and, and you know, we have to manage that as a guild. But I, I think we do that and I think we do a lot of good. And, yeah, I guess I'm happy to be a part of that. Well, what is the current kind of current uh, state of the sector at the moment? I mean, there there seems to be... Like it's in, a, in such a state of tremendous flux, driven driven by technology, and uh, you know there was the we had one of the biggest productions in the world operating here until a bit under a year ago, and, and suddenly that that's gone, and 
the the how and the you know like I say my my perception is that the emotional temperature of the production sector is never super chill <laughs> at the oh, best of times. Like, how, how is it right now? It's a stressful job being a producer because a lot goes wrong and a lot of what you're doing is that sort of, you know, if A doesn't happen, I'll do B and if B doesn't happen, I'll do C and consequence and dealing with things. And, of course, the, you know, thrown into the mix of all of the things you just said, we've had a pandemic for the last two years. Oh, yeah, that thing. That thing. And that thing, oh, my goodness. I mean, the amount of shoots that had to move, you know, reschedule things, Issues with getting people in through the border, you know, a key actor or those kinds of things. That has been unbelievably stressful for people. And actually, um, Sandy Gildea, our fabulous executive director, that's a lot of what Sandy's done in the last couple of years is actually just almost like counselling, just keeping people going through all of that. And also working with uh, government agencies and funders to make sure that the specialist funding packages to deal with that were as functional as they could be and were as helpful as they could be. So that has been huge. Uh, although I like to requote Rachel Anthony, who runs Greenstone, the production company, who did a, an RNZ interview, and she said something about you know, how the pandemic was a nightmare for producers and the level of change. But producers, that's actually what we're used to doing. We're used to managing change and dealing with things moving all over the place. So we're resilient. And we did actually rise to that. And, you know, lots of shows got made in New Zealand at, at a time when they weren't in the world um, because our COVID response was slightly different. So, yeah, that's been huge. Uh, but then I guess you get on to just the more general side of things it's hard in New Zealand because it's a small population country and therefore it's a small viewership potential country and it's a small budget country. And those things are just, you know, they they are always the scenario that we are in and we have to work within that. We've been lucky, though, I think, in that over the years we've had generally supportive governments, you know, who've funded NZ On Air, who've funded the Film Commission, who've funded Te Mangai Pao. You know, the money has been there uh, and, you know, also the screen production grant, obviously, for bigger things. Um, so, I don't know, it's not all bad. <laughs> no, I, 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 I dare say it, say it isn't. I, the thing that, um, and there's also, in amongst all the, the change and the chaos, there's also obviously huge opportunity there as well and, and new audiences that, that that can be accessed and potential for things to, to go all over the world. Um, and kind of key to, to unlocking the, the local side of that um, is the, the new public media entity. Now, you're, you're on the board of RNZ and so very much we'll be speaking with... Um, with my Sparta hat on. Uh, <laughs> here yeah. now. It, but, but um, you know, how, how, how kind of consulted was... The production sector through that, and because I guess the the when you come to an inflection point like the like the merger of, of RNZ and TVNZ, the what that does is change the range of available outcomes um, quite radically. From a there could be a lot more money and a lot more opportunity to this thing could actually try and make a lot more itself. I mean, when you were at TVNZ, you oversaw a big expansion in, in internal productions there, which was great for viewers, but not necessarily, um, probably yeah, some some external producers wouldn't necessarily have loved seeing. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet, I bet. So so what, how has that, that inter- and you were also on the, the board assessing the, um, you know, the, the case for that entity as well. So talk through how, how the production sector has, has interacted with that process. Well, actually, uh, it's been a good process. Tracy Martin's been a really good chair. 
uh, and we did both uh, verbal consultations but also wrote quite a significant written document of input into it, which I thought was a pretty good document from us. In fact, I think they told us they thought it was a very good document <laughs> from us. Um, and, yeah, it is a little tricky for me to talk about because um, obviously RNZ is a part of it and um, from that perspective, you know, our chair would normally speak about that. But in a way, wearing my two different hats, the, 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 the desire is not hugely different. I mean... Wearing my RNZ hat, we just want it to be done really, really well and for the best bits of RNZ not to suffer in any negative way. And wearing my spider hat, we just want it to be done really, really well mm. and for local production not to be hurt in any way so that there's not any unintended consequences, there's no fish hooks. And that is the key, is that it's funded properly, and we don't know that yet till the budget, uh, and that it's executed really, really well. And if those things happen, it should be great. The change where sort of the equivalent amount of NZ on air money to what TVNZ might have expected to get is likely to now go directly to the new entity and NZ on air will just exist to fund other operators, not the new entity. That's an interesting one. So has that, that that's obviously a potential outcome. Is, do you think that that is a, a likely outcome? I think it is fairly likely from how they've talked so far. And that's one I, you know, I could actually argue that both ways. I'm yeah. not totally sure. You know, I, I think it will probably be fine. Uh, so, yeah, that, I think that's going to be something to keep an eye on. And that would be very sort of back to the future in terms of the the, the commissioning power of the of the state networks uh, being far more sort of centralised than it has in the past. It also is a bit existentially challenging for New Zealand on air, which I think has also, particularly in the last few years, done very well in terms of how it interacts between the networks and audience change and production sector. Yeah, and I, I, as I say, I think I could probably argue it both ways, but I think... As long as the new entity, I hate calling it that, but we don't have a name yet. I know, it's so, so annoying. Um, as long as it's good and it's really operating with the spirit of public media, you know, a modern public media thing, then it should work because they will spend the money on the right kinds of productions. But, yeah, I think that's something the production community will need to keep quite a close eye on. So the thing that... that you know, I actually wrote about this recently in the aftermath of the Netflix results because, you know, the, the, the big Netflix result was that they basically stopped growing dead in their tracks and uh, there is, you know, they were appropriately punished for that um, uh, by the share market. But on some level that was the share market saying, we think you might be done growing or certainly done growing as fast as you have been, which, you know, the, the sort of flow on of that is, Maybe that period where the huge migration to streaming from uh, linear television is, if not over, it's just not going to be as as fast or as, um, you know, you won't get these big chunks the, the way it was. And maybe the, the sort of, you know, we'll, we'll live with a, a continuation of linear at its particular scale and a continuation of, uh, of streaming at its particular scale, but there won't be that, that just massive step change like we saw for much of the last decade. The sort of freaky thing for both the pub new public media entity and for the production sector is that a lot of what we've been doing is, is sort of predicated on the, the notion that we will eventually be able to do largely what we have done, which is make great 
TV shows and movies, but just in a different place and for a different audience. But the the stat which sort of leapt out at me and that, that I wrote about was that this the survey of the the total volume of video content that it is is being viewed by particularly younger audiences under twenty fives is the the amount of it that it's professionally produced, i.e., made by your sector is around 50% versus sort of 70% plus, which means that user-generated content is about the other half. And the the big challenging thing, I think, for this new public media entity, and I think that we as as media and the production sector have to think about is, you know, how, how, do, how do we interact with that? Like, and, and, you know, is there a sort of a, a more porous border that could emerge between the sort of creator community. I think of something like Viva La Dirt League, who I've had on this podcast before, who do very high-quality, professionally produced stuff that's purely for and from, effectively, social media. Yeah, how, how, do, you, how do you think about that, that sort of new area? Because the whole point of the merger is to go and get that audience that is missing, but are they even gettable? That's, yeah, that's a really good question. It's incredibly challenging uh, because to a degree they're gone. You know, they're on YouTube or whatever. But... That is going to be something that the new entity is going to have to wrestle with. It's going to have to find ways to serve and attract children and older young people. And, yeah, I mean, in the end, it kind of does go back to making attractive content and really thinking about that and, you know, what is what is likely to get those eyes there and those ears. Uh, yeah, I I mean, I just think it is going to be a perpetual challenge because everything has changed and I, I just worry that, you know, to a degree we've lost those young viewers. I don't, I don't know exactly how to get them back. I think that's going to be a real challenge for the people having to do it. I mean, NZN is doing, a, as you all know, is doing a review of its children's strategy at the moment. I think literally right now. Yeah. And, you know, there's various schools of thought that I've talked about with our various producers um, because NZ on Air has sort of, you know, who are always quite modern thinking and moving. They're sort of thinking, oh, maybe go where the audiences are, you know, put a little bit of content here, a little bit of content here, a little bit of content everywhere. But then you can go too far in that direction. And, you, and, you know, if you don't have something like the Hey Hey children's platform that TVNZ on demand does, or, you, you know, you don't have hardly any actual linear children's TV shows then you've maybe gone too far because you sort of maybe need the content everywhere. Uh, I mean, I'm talking specifically about children, which is actually slightly different from what you're talking about because you're talking about younger people generally. And they're the, the thing habits. all joins up, though. But, but, yeah, it does because it's when you capture them. And th- there's also that thing that do people come back just because they're older and they're different and they want different things? It, you know, I think about myself and that I, as a younger person, never listen to RNZ, nothing. And now I never listen to anything else. So what happened there? <laughs> but, but you I were... got old. <laughs> yeah, <we're... laughs> the Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. When I try and imagine that journey for, uh, you know, my kids are age 8 to, to 21, I don't think it's poss- it's, it is possible. And to be honest, my 21-year-old watches Breakfast in Shorten Street now. You know, she'd, TVNZ would be thrilled to hear that, I'm sure. But uh, 
I think she's weird. Certainly the data says that she's the aberrant one and that um, the vast majority of them are much more likely to be on TikTok and, and on YouTube. And fundamentally, when you're on TikTok and YouTube and, and Netflix, you're in a place where the total amount of New Zealand content that is there is a tiny fingernail-sized fragment of the big body and it's not surfaced in the natural way that the old you know, New Zealand programming was was. Prime time was front and centre. It was 6 or 7.30pm. You couldn't avoid it. And I guess that's where I think probably government regulation or at the very least a sort of a, a stern look at the tech companies um, has to come into things. Does Sparta have a view on on how government should deal with the likes of Netflix and YouTube? You know, in some respects that is a could you please commission some original local content yourselves? We very much have a view. We, we've been lobbying to have either what you suggest, some sort of a local quota, or just a pure revenue thing, as in, you know, if perhaps it's for operators over a certain level of profit in New Zealand. Could be as little as 5%. It would be great if it was more. Mm. It comes directly back to New Zealand via our funders, NZFC, TMP, NZOA, and back into local content. So there's sort of, you could have a hybrid where it's a bit of both. You could have one, you could have the other. But when you consider how much money they make in New Zealand, how they don't really contribute, in, you know, in the sense of paying tax or having any quota or anything, and how much they've hurt our industry because they've taken eyeballs, which have come from network television, which has affected viewers, which has affected revenue, you know, so on and so forth. So, yeah, we would very much like something to happen in that space. We've been doing a bit of gentle lobbying. Government is, is there, there, there are people working on it in a slightly backroomish sense at the moment. It's not come up high priority, mainly just because the government is so incredibly busy because of that thing we mentioned before, that pandemic thing. But, yeah, it would be great. Um, and, you know, Netflix obviously would have been the prime candidate, although they seem to be having their own issues now, so maybe it would be a bad time to say, hey, can we have 5%? <laughs> well, I mean, I think that the the the, the confronting thing for all them is, I mean, that their actual their profitability went, went up. Um, it was just their growth went down. So Netflix is obviously fundamentally a very sound business, and it spends a shit, you know, what is it? A lot. 20 billion or so on content a year anyway. Yeah. It just doesn't spend any of it in... Well, it does spend some in New Zealand. Um, there's a show shooting on my street right yes. now. One of us is lying. Um, and Sweet Tooth. And Sweet Tooth. Possibly not in your street. But no, <laughs> no, but, but the fundamentals is that they yeah. are making things here, yeah. but they might as well be anywhere. That it's um, So far. But that is not to say that there won't be New Zealand commissions at some time. At this stage, it's only been locations. Apart from one factual show, David Farrier's show, uh, Dark Tourist. Dark, but Dark Tourist was really... It wasn't a New Zealand production, and it just had a New Zealand host. You know, it was, it was shot all over the world. Had a you know, it was had... a New Zealand production company, wasn't it? Maybe. Maybe. Anyway, that you know, it could well happen. And what is already happening? And actually, I was going to sort of fit this in somewhere in our talk for all the challenges, and they are you know big. One of the really great things at the moment is we are on the threshold of that thing that people have been saying about why isn't New Zealand drama, why aren't we getting the co-productions, why aren't we getting to the world, why aren't we getting New Zealand stories? And we're starting to. And so far it isn't with Netflix, it's with people like Acorn and different people. But, you know, things like Mystic, Under the Vines, Broken Wood Mysteries, um, oh, what's the one with Lucy Lawless, This My Life is Murder. You know, they're all different types of shows. Some of them are quite formula shows, but they are all international co-productions 
or sales. I think broken wood is broken wood. I think your yeah, broken wood is co-production, I think, but it's also international sales generated. And that area is really starting to hum. So I think we are on the, the cusp of something there. So it you know, I don't I don't think it's necessarily that long before there's a New Zealand story, commission show, production company on Netflix. But I guess the the, the and, and that will be a great moment. But mm. fundamentally and we you know, just to, to your point before about you know, reality TV has actually had a long history of New Zealand formats going mm. to the world, mm. and um, and you know through Discovery, there's a lot more potential for stuff that's actually made mm. here of here to to go out to mm. the. It becomes more of a conversation rather than it's either made in New Zealand for New Zealanders or in New Zealand for overseas audiences. I think there's growth there. I guess the um, the thing that when that show comes along. That will be one show, and and I and no, I not necessarily. Well, no, obviously <laughs> it'll, it'll be the first. But but if you think about the scale of what is made here in, in drama and comedy and, and um, factual and so on, versus the amount of attention that has gone to these overseas platforms, like you know, I, I sort of wonder if you know. I, I certainly think because some of this is actually just a surfacing problem. Like on YouTube, there is a huge volume of New Zealand uh, content, you know. All of our series are there as well uh, that, that we make for the spin-off. But um, the problem is that a YouTube, you know, that they, the algorithm just surfaces whatever it thinks you're into, you know. Hope, hopefully it's not, you know, <laughs> crazy conspiracy theories and so on, but sometimes it is. The incentive which I wonder about is because we've gone from distribution being effectively a solved problem and it's really a sorting by schedule to distribution being... A very hard thing for uh, for the producers of content. So, and yet YouTube has a million nudges it can do. It can, you know, that's largely what its business is is uh, prompting you to watch the next thing or, or, or what happens when you open the app. There is room for them to say, as part of a of a please don't regulate us kind of situation. Here's ten million dollars worth of inventory. Give that to New Zealand on in air, and they can package that up with some of their productions. That could promote to push to other platforms, or to, could could surface videos Absolutely. more readily. And the, again, there's different views on the thing of asking YouTube or Netflix or Amazon or Apple or whomever to contribute to the New Zealand industry. Some people have a fear of it, and they go, "Ooh, no, we we don't have enough might. It'll put them off." It, you know, Ugh. I think that's an old argument. Uh, that's done. And the other argument is. Actually, they're expecting it. They're yeah. waiting for it. And as it, it's actually in their interest to give you something as a good corporate citizen who is a part of that New Zealand screen ecosystem. Absolutely. Than have worse things potentially regulated upon them. So I think it is an area that we should be lobbying in. And uh, if anyone from government is listening to this podcast, that would be good. <laughs> cool, uh, so yeah, I, I think it, it it actually would be a significant game changer just to have that extra money. Because money, I mean, I'm going slightly in a circle here, but you know, as you were just kind of saying, we're actually pretty strong in factual television, reality TV, documentary, etc., because that is not the high budget end of our industry. And we do well, and New Zealanders watch those shows less than they did because ratings are lower generally, but still pretty good, actually, even on just on linear. Uh, and we sell formats to the world and we sell shows to the world. And actually that, that part is, is reasonably healthy despite the challenges. Drama is much, much harder because it's really expensive. And, you know, if you make a lower budget show 
you affect that show, the, you know, the quality of it and how it can compete in the world. And so that is hard for New Zealand producers and that is the beauty of co-production being, you know, the thing and us getting better at that. But the minute you had more money to put into uh, production via our funding agencies, this big, um, it, it's a game changer because you can just do more. And if you can do more, you've got more chance of shows being the one that goes boom and is suddenly the big hit thing around the world. So, yeah. And that kind of brings me to the screen sector review that is going on at the moment and, you know, which is also looking into this big, this green production grant. And what I guess... I'm sort of slightly presupposing because we're not at the stage of doing our written submission yet and we'll get a working group to do that and they will be people who are more intimately familiar with the exact bits and pieces of the film policy that surrounds all of that than I am. But the things that I kind of think in an overview sense, the balance between New Zealand being used as an international location and New Zealand stories with New Zealand IP copyright being made and going to the world isn't always as good as it could be. And that's something that a little bit of fine-tuning of the current system could potentially fix, be it putting a cap on the international money, being it, be it putting some provisos, you know, you must use X number of New Zealand actors, you must use X directors, writers, heads of department. Um, there's various things we could do just to tweak it slightly to fix the balance because while I'm not in any way suggesting that it isn't important to the screen industry to have New Zealand as a location for international shoots because that makes enormous amounts of money for New Zealand, some of which helps the screen industry, huge training ground, experience, all of the good things that that brings. But you don't want it to overshadow the other bit where we're actually telling New Zealand stories because that's the cultural bit, which is just as important as the financial bit. And actually, even if you don't care culturally, there's a financial aspect because it's New Zealand IP, intellectual property. So there's work to be done there. I, I, it slightly bothered me when The Power of the Dog was doing really, really well internationally. And the Film Commission did a really good job of promoting New Zealand off the back of that, and that was actually quite impressive. But it worried me slightly in that you could get a message from that of, come here, use our locations. You know, we're here for that, not... Because that wasn't a New Zealand story. No. Uh, it was, You know, it was Jane, who's fabulous, and it was, you know, it did really well. Great New Zealand crews, locations. But, you know, we've got stories to tell, and I think that's important. That was a long answer. No, but it's, <laughs> and that, that, that's, and I'm, I'm really glad, and I think you kind of canvassed how, how complex these issues are because when we talk about the production sector, we are talking about something that, you know, the, 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 that sort of fundamental cultural value of it is, which is what binds us together in an era where we're effectively curating our own realities on our, um, on our phones and, and screens at any given time. And we don't have those, those kind of the glue that was... A lot of it was media and was productions uh, historically, and when you know th that phenomena doesn't penetrate as many people's minds as it as it formerly did, it feels like we're in danger of losing something quite important um, in the process. And I'm sure that would be what the the 
production sector would say that, but it does kind of go back to what we were talking about before is unless you can, it's all very well, like it becomes a form of cultural busy work if we're just making these beautiful New Zealand stories and we just can't get enough people to watch them for them to make any kind of ultimately financial sense, even cultural sense, because yeah. a beautiful thing that is made that doesn't find an audience, there's a tragedy to that as well. Yeah, I agree. And, and again, that's something where, you know, if I talk to our different producer members, I'd get slightly different views because some people think it's enough that the beautiful thing gets made. Really? Yeah, they do. Whereas I come from a slightly more commercial background, being, you know, a television producer in that world, and I find it difficult as, you know, what we used to call a broadcaster to think that the thing that I've made isn't being viewed by very many people. That that kind of bothers me. So, yeah, I think, I mean, this is going to be the challenge for the new public media entity is it's going to be trying to do, you know, thoughtful, intelligent, entertaining good quality content, but it's going to have to do that in ways and using technology and promotion that means people watch it because otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, and I think that you're sort of giving, it's a bit of a cop-out to me, this idea that just making it's enough and it's someone else's job to to get it watched or even if it doesn't happen... Well, well, at least we, we made it. I don't, I don't think that's I mean, enough. There's a truth in that, in that some content is made for a niche and you know it's never going to have an enormous number of people, but it still has a value. Yeah, and you can sort of feel the heat coming out yeah, of the community yeah. when it gets I mean, seen that you way. Know, you don't expect um, you know, a really high-quality current affairs-style documentary to necessarily rate you know, what Dancing with the Stars rates, and that's fine. Um, but within reason. I mean, if you're making things that cost money and almost no one's looking at them, then what is the point? And you need to have a sort of a baseline expectation. Mm. But that's where I think that, you know, the the point I was making earlier about the distribution being solved thing, like some of what, if you were to have a kind of, you know, obviously Australia's just been through this thing with with journalism where it's... um, you know, the, with the A Triple C, has very strongly encouraged the uh, the tech platforms to make settlements with news producers in Australia, and, you know, that, and that's beginning here as that, well. Yeah, it's it's grinding along, but but fundamentally, there's a version of that which could be with a, a Netflix and a YouTube mm. and a, you know even potentially like a, a TikTok, for example, that mm. that force them to. Uh, come to some kind of settlement with the local mm. industry that wasn't necessarily about funding going to New Zealand on air, though that would be nice, but was also about like commitments to, you know, like radio did with its quotas for New Zealand yeah. and music. Yeah. No, absolutely. I mean, anything would help. Money would help. A quota would help. Even, I guess it ties into a quota, but sort of what you were talking about, about surfacing, you know, about algorithm-type work, just to, to get what New Zealand content there I mean, these is. these are advertising yeah. platforms. Just yeah. use, give, yeah. them, give them and, some inventory. I mean, that's inventory. not my area of particular expertise, but that, you know, the new entity is actually going to have to have people who have that expertise who can try and work out where do you put stuff and how do you get it to come to people. I mean, that's one of the things um, I know that this, there's different thoughts on the children's strategy that NZ On Air is doing at the moment. But that's one thing I would really credit NZ On Air. They have 
you know, they do those where the audiences mm. are surveys and they keep up to date. They actually have been very good about trying to keep up with technology and viewing change. But it's hard. You know, it is incredibly challenging. I still, I mean, <laughs> possibly sounds naive, but I still think if you make really great content, that's a pretty good starting point because if it's really great, people will find it. Well, yes, but and, and also whatever marketing you do will be more effective because when people come to the, the yeah. uh, find the thing, the, yeah. the, the, they'll, they'll talk a, about it. That's a little grievance that some of our producers have got at the moment is that um, the networks, I guess because like everybody, everyone's stretched these days, uh, don't seem to be putting as much resource into promoting local production as they used to. And that's something we need to have a little look at, just why that is and whether we could get that a bit healthier. Well, yeah, and, and and I think that you know, that, that sort of certainly feels true. Mm-hmm. Um, and obviously I have a particular proximity through it, through, yeah. through the promotional yeah. side that, that, you know, um, as well through, through the spinoff. But the... I, I, some, I think New Zealand on Air could f- solve for some of this by sort of having funding come contingent with obligations. And, and in fact, you know, you could ask them, but obviously they pay a licence fee. Well, the, the licence fee could be held in escrow so long as they hit particular targets which were in some ways made flesh by an amount of uh, promotion for, for, uh, for these shows. Yeah, I think it's definitely an area that needs a little bit of looking into with the networks and NZ on Air. So what, well, well, you know, Historically, the production sector had, and I think this is very much, this was true of the networks, it was true of the whole of the media, it had this glorious idea of one big audience and and we were all in one big melting pot. Really, it was a big Pākehā audience, largely, and that everyone had some responsibility for that and I think there has been a collective sense of we've got to start solving for this very quickly and it and it's not an easy thing to solve and it's not just a money problem it's it's a whole bunch of things but we've seen in recent years that uh Māori and Pacific and and even latterly uh pan-asian programming has increased uh you know this the amazing work that attitude do around um programming for New Zealanders with disabilities and so on does is the sector kind of how has that impacted the sector and is there a danger that it it kind of is characterised as sort of niche programming as opposed to being big and big and broad. Yeah, it has to be both. I, I think we've made incredible strides in those areas in the last couple of years, and I think um, the funding agencies can take some credit for that, and, and to a degree the networks, although probably it was led more by the funding agencies. And it's certainly a lot better than it was. But there is still a way to go, and I like that expression, you know, we've come too far not to go further, because I think it's really important that we do. But you make a good point. It's I think the, the, the targeted, the niche shows have a value, and actually they sort of relate to what we were talking before about that they don't have the huge numbers, but they have the right people and the numbers that they need. But it is also that thing of just making different ethnicities, different different abilities, you know, obvious in everything. 
in, in all of the programming. And I think that's the bit that we are starting to do better, but there's still work to be done. Having said that, isn't Shortland Street good about all of those kinds of things? Well, hasn't it, but hasn't it always been it good? Just, you know, that Shortland Street is a little miracle. Yeah. And, and I, I don't, don't know that your daughter is an outlier. I think young people are still finding Shortland Street. It might not be at, you know, 7 o'clock at night on TV too. Well, and it might, I don't think it's the same volume as it once no. was. You know, it's half a million people yeah, a day. You know, it's still pretty good, and it's a great little show. It is a great little show, and it performs so many functions, and, uh, you know, long, long may it continue. But I, I think, I mean, one of the things that I'm gratified by, I, I, just before you arrived, I was um, catching up with Joe Damon, who's been a previous guest on The Fold, has a production company, West Park, which, you know, is is working with a lot with Māori television, coming up with formats and creating really, really great productions. They are on a budget, but I think, you know, having, uh, and obviously Bailey's done tremendous things with Pango and, and you know, there's, there's a lot more besides. I think there is a, it's not just kind of the representation on camera or even behind camera, but I think that, that the more that the production sector can start to represent at even like an ownership level, uh, the communities that it's serving and let those ideas grow go into bigger productions and, and roam overseas. I think there'll be I, great things come from that too. I really admire, you mentioned Bailey, Bailey Mackey, who runs Pango Productions. I really admire Bailey's work because he is very, very good at taking Māori topics, Māori themes, Māori people, but making broad appeal television out of that. Absolutely. And he's the master of that. And, you know, the thing that we shouldn't forget when we're talking about particularly Māori and Pacifica, but Asian as well, actually, now. Some of the things that have done best for us internationally, you know, films, etc. that's what they've been. They've had Māori themes. Well, <laughs> you know, Whale Rider is one of our most successful exported screen pieces. And that's what's, what's unique about this country, you yeah. know. So, so, so. And, I've not, and actually a couple of people have said to me, working on co-productions, things like The Gulf, um, I think with, is it German co-production people? And there's some Māori content, you know, a little bit of um, cultural stuff, a little bit of spirituality. And the international people have got more of that, more of that, more of that. Whereas historically in New Zealand, we might have kind of gone, ooh, maybe that'll be a bit off-putting. But it's interesting because international people, that's the bit that's cool, you know, and different and, and, and interesting. So there you go. Well, uh, there's a there's a lot in that, and uh, you know you've you've just just come on as as president, so you know good good luck to you. But uh, you know we'll be we'll be watching this space, and I think that fundamental like this that's such a recurring theme on this podcast is this idea that the the tech giants basically will come to your country, they barely know you exist, you're just a revenue line. And the cultural impact and what that does to us as a, as a people and our ability to understand one another is enormous. And I think that it's, it's absolutely a time when, for us as a country, but also the companies are receptive to this too. Like they, they know that they didn't get into the business just to kind of rapaciously pillage us. That, so I think that hopefully there are people from government listening and certainly organisations like yours speaking mm. to and encouraging them to kind of go from this this very blunt force trauma area to something more sophisticated. And funnily enough, I just remember the thing I thought of before that then flickered straight out. At some point in the future, they probably will end up being taxed. There is work being done on that. And see, in a way, that would work less well for the screen industry because that'll just come into the general tax take. Whereas if they contribute specifically, 
that is actually of more value to us. So, but, I mean, at the same time, just if the overall tax take is big, We could bigger. have some of it. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. And, and, and if it's... I'd take because, anything at this point. Well, but it also just makes the sector more visible, yeah. right, um, to, to the government through, through revenue. So, uh, yeah, I, you'll I take feel, anything. I feel like we've talked a lot about the problems of the industry. I feel like I should sort of finish by saying we do make some really lovely screen content here in New Zealand. <laughs> That's true. That's the curse of the fold. It's almost always <laughs> what, what's hard at the moment. But uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And the thing is, the whole reason that that this podcast exists, the spin-off exists as a website, you know, it's founded on television. Let's remember that. And and that the whole production sector exists is because our stories, uh, you know, are, are fantastically told by the production sector. And it's really about setting them up to succeed and, and find an audience, and uh, that's the job. It is. No pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Thanks so much, Irene. Thank you. The Fold is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network together with Vodafone. It was hosted by Duncan Greve, produced by T.I. Butler, with production management by Rachel LaRue and series production by Jane Yee. To find out how Vodafone can help you reach your personal and business potential, visit vodafone.co.nz. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O-Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O-Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e tewi, te Ahe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.